Welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, August 17th, we are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 10 to 17. In today's text, Solomon grapples with questions about why sinners may prosper and why the righteous may suffer. At the same time, he points to the reality of faith and joy that those who fear God truly have. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Merritt Dembski. Pastor Dembski serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Pastor Dembski, welcome to Sharper Iron. It's good to be here. I think you and I have spoken on another program on KFUO before, but this is the first time to have you on Sharper Iron, so glad to have you as a guest to, to study uh, one of the more unusual books of the Scriptures, the book of Ecclesiastes. So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about this book, what Solomon's up to, context that's going to be helpful, especially as we look at chapter 8 today. Yeah, so Solomon's writing this book of wisdom. When we look at our Bibles, we usually have this included in our wisdom literature, Proverbs and Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Solomon is walking through, I don't know, just uh, it's some, it's sometimes it seems kind of depressing because he's just walking through the reality of life that that uh, things come and go. Uh, typically, when people think of the book of Ecclesiastes, they think of that passage about there's a time for this, there's a time for that, there's a time for this, a time for that. And yet his whole point is nothing changes. <laughs> you know, we usually we usually think about that as a as a beautiful wedding passage, which is true. Things continue on. But uh, there's is as depressing as Ecclesiastes can be at times or seem depressing. It's also this comfort that God continues to be in control and that there's nothing that's going to be uh, going exceedingly out of God's control that he can't handle. And so he's, he's writing all of this and emphasizing the fact that as much as things stay the same and uh, as much as we might not be in control, the reminder that God is in control gives us peace and comfort, knowing that um, no matter what is going on, as long as we are in Christ, as long as we are in God's promises, there is comfort and peace. Because you think about all the times where people are just uh, uh, just beside themselves, not able to figure out how to handle life. And without God, everything is meaningless. Without God, there is no joy. Without God, there is no comfort because the sun's going to go up, the sun's going to go down. I uh, just was looking at a uh, another book the other day and uh, not in the Bible, just there was a something I was reading. I can't remember what it was at the moment. And uh, the author made a point that the graveyards are full of indispensable people. Mm-hmm. All the times we think that we are indispensable. But, and this is a reminder that no, but God is the one who is God over all things. Even mm-hmm. if we are the ones that think we have to be there and we're going to fix all the world. No, God is the one that's in control. And as much as it might seem like uh, we, we have no control, he is the one who keeps his promises and gives us joy in the midst of everything that's going on. 
Mm. Graveyards are full of indispensable people. I think that would have that resonates with what Solomon has said and continues to say here in the book of Ecclesiastes when he mm-hmm. considers the end, you know, everyone dies. That's a point that he makes in multiple cases. And right. so you can either try to fight against that somehow and strive after all these things, thinking that you can change that or you can control it, or rather you can see you can receive all those times, Ecclesiastes chapter three. You can receive those times as a gift from God's hand to be used according to His mercy and under His will, and then then in that fear of God, there is actually joy, contentment, meaning in this life. But apart from that, it is just this striving after the wind, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as much as uh, I, I love that Solomon makes the point, the fool and the wise person both die, but it's far better to be wise than a fool. <laughs> you know, like We want to hear what God's Word says. For sure, for sure. A, a, a recent guest also, you know, made the point that Ecclesiastes does thread this needle between asceticism, like just giving up everything, but also th- between that and hedonism, just wanting everything. And and Ecclesiastes really does does thread that needle really well, so that we don't forsake God's wisdom, so that we don't think that it's useless or meaningless, but we put those things in their proper perspective in this life under the sun. So, mm-hmm. any more comments? Before we get started in the text, Pastor Dembski. Not that I can think of initially. I think that covers the bulk of it. All right. So we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning at verse 10 this morning. Here is the text. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. That is our text for today. That is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 10 to 17. So, Pastor Dembski, this is another one of those sections in Ecclesiastes that isn't as well known as some of the other passages, like chapter 3, as you pointed out. And there's some some difficult verses in here, I think, especially the, the first verse, I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised. This is vanity. Help us to understand what's going on in verse 10. Yeah, so when you look, that, you can see that there's actually two different ways that you might see translations handle this, that either uh, the wicked, they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised, or sometimes you might see a translation say, and they were forgotten. And every once in a while you run into these Hebrew phrases that have a little bit of ambiguity that people aren't... uh, uh, completely sure how the Hebrew ought to be translated, or the word is just 
a word that can be translated in two different ways. I know going through seminary and learning Hebrew, that was always one of the most frustrating things, that word context, which is a beautiful word. Context is a beautiful thing. But when you get certain words in Hebrew that, well, depending on the context, can mean this or this. And so when we get to this spot, um, we see this picture of the wicked are buried. So, okay, so the wicked have died. And looking back on the fact that they used to go in and out of the holy place and either they were praised in the city uh, where they had done these things of going in and out of the holy place and doing their wicked things, or they were forgotten. And of course, in the midst of all of this uh, book of Ecclesiastes, you have this reminder of things that are vanity, things that are temporary. And so that that nature of, okay, is this the Solomon saying that, they were going in and out and they were praised. And that is a thing that was unfair and only temporary because what happened? They ended up getting buried. Or the fact that they went in and out and they did all these things, but they were buried and they were forgotten. We see that no matter how you, how you translate that, either way, you see the fact that God's justice is still there. The wicked are forgotten. The wicked are not preserved. They do not go on and continue forever. But also, um, if they were praised, they were buried later. It wasn't a matter of uh, wickedness continuing to succeed. And you look at the book of Psalms, you've got the fact that uh, God's face is against those who do evil to cut them off. Um, so God cuts them off. They're forgotten. And either context works. But this could be one of those passages that people would point to and say, see, the Bible is unclear. We don't know what it means and all these kind of things. But language does change. And there are times where we have to study language and understand what's going on. We have to understand the context of the passage and all of scripture and its wholeness. And so it's not a time to let our concerns get away from us that uh, God's word is unclear or unreliable. Uh, we see that the teaching is the same. The wicked are removed, whether they were praised or whether the point is that they were forgotten in their burial. God continues to be the one who uh, removes the wicked and continues to keep his promise to love and to care. And of course, the last uh, phrase of that that verse is this also is vanity. And I know it's already been talked about just that word vanity being something that's temporary of vapor, something that's fleeting. So um, no matter what has been going on with the wicked, this thing is just temporary well, and seemingly pointless. So, so whether the phrase should be translated, they were praised or whether they were forgotten, in either case, you have the same end result, they're dead and buried. So if they were praised in the city, that didn't keep them alive. If they were forgotten, then their wickedness didn't actually benefit them. Either either way, you have a similar result. There is the vanity that Solomon's been talking about all along. Talk a little bit more about when these things happen, where there is that word that maybe we just don't know as well what we what it means from the Hebrew or the Greek or it seems like there's some question, how can we still have the confidence the, in, in the reliability of God's Word? Sometimes this is a, a question that, that shakes people's consciences. So talk a little bit more about the confidence that we do have in God's Word, even in cases like this. Yeah, well, I, it's wonderful that God gives us so much of His Word, that He reveals, and Christ comes in the flesh, He is the Word made flesh, and God, as we talk about in the book of Hebrews, spoke to the people through the prophets, and now he speaks through his son. We have all of these words. It's not, we, it's not as though we only have 
one little shred of one thing called Ecclesiastes, and it seems to be the 10th verse of the 8th chapter, but we don't have anything else ever in the history of the Bible. We've got all of these uh, other elements of Scripture so that we can read Scripture and have it translated according to scripture. We can look at how scripture translates scripture. And so, um, you know, I made the reference to, to God's face being turned against those who do evil to cut them off. Well, you see that all throughout the Psalms. I mean, that's specifically Psalm 34, 16, but you see it all throughout the Psalms. You see all throughout scripture that God is just and he is merciful. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He uh, keeps his covenants and his promises. So when we run into a passage that might be unclear, well, there are plenty of passages we look to that are clear and use those as our guiding light to understand the other passages. And of course, with uh, Christ being revealed to us, we always look to Christ at the center of all of it. So we don't start with an abstract verse in the middle of Ecclesiastes and try to find all of our theology. Christ is the one that everything revolves around and all points to him. So what has Christ done? He is the one who was buried for our sins and transgressions and yet rose again from the dead. Um, and he is the one who cares for us and loves us. So no matter uh, where we're looking in scripture, we can always find clearer passages that that can guide our reading and understanding if there is something that's unclear. Absolutely. It's a very helpful explanation so that we would continue to have the confidence in God's word, all of it that he has given to us. Now Solomon continues into verse 11, then, after noting the case of the wicked being buried, they've gone in and out previously, and they've been praised or forgotten, this is vanity. He talks then about the sentence against evil deeds and whether or not it's executed quickly or not. What's he saying there in verse 11? Yeah, so he talks about the fact that when evil is not immediately dealt with, that uh, he says the heart of the children of man is set fully to do evil. And I don't know if it was just a trick of my eyes when I first read it, or if it was one of the translations that I looked at as I was looking through, um, made it almost appear as though humanity is saddened by, and, you know, weighed down by the fact that evil isn't destroyed. And yet, actually, what it's saying is that we are, we tend to want to do evil when uh, wickedness is not destroyed. So if, if an evil deed is not executed speedily, if justice is not brought down on it, well, what does everyone else want to do? We want to get away with it too. <laughs> so when it takes a while to punish the wicked, uh, all people are tempted to do evil and it encourages people that are bent on evil. And of course, I mean, we can turn on the news and we can see, uh, Look, places where evil is not dealt with, where injustice is not, uh, um, uh, what do you say? Uh, injustice isn't well dealt with. I was trying to say it in a different way, but I can't think of another way to say it. Um, uh, injustice isn't dealt with. And so what do you have? You have more people that engage in unjust acts. You have more people that go out to steal because why wouldn't I? They got away with it. So why wouldn't I get away with it? And we see that this is the nature of man. As many times as people want to say that we are these these innocent blank slates, as much as people want to say that we are um, these good little people that just need a little push in the right direction. Anytime we start to, for some re weird reason, go off in the wrong direction, we are reminded that no, we are sinful and unclean, that Christ says evil comes from the heart, that it's not a matter of us being good and evil, just somehow working in from outside. Evil comes out from us. And so you look at Galatians, you see Paul talk about the fact that God gives us the Holy Spirit so we don't do what we want to do. 
which as a kid, I never understood why the Holy Spirit wanted me to not eat pizza or something. And I realized, oh, <laughs> he's talking about sinful stuff. <laughs> you know, like God, God gives you the Holy Spirit so you don't do exactly what you want to do. And what's that sinful man going to want to do when he sees there's the ability to get away with it? He's going to want to do it. And so just that observation that uh, if justice is not brought, we get set to do the same kinds of evil. Yeah, and that's that's true for the one who commits the evil deed and gets away with it. It emboldens him to do more evil. And as you've been saying, it, it emboldens those who see this to think, oh, I can do that same thing and get away from get away with it and maybe even prosper from it. So I'll go ahead and do that. Which this is this is one of the reasons that the office of the keys is given when it comes to the the binding key as to one of the reasons why we speak against unrepentant sin, lest evil then would grow and multiply like a, a leaven, I think is the way that Paul talks about it. I think that's in 1 Corinthians. Can you talk a little bit about that within the Christian church, about the way that, that this would even work its way amongst the people of God? Yeah, certainly. So we, we often have competing views. There's people that'll say, the church is pure gospel such that there are no consequences. There's no discipline for anything. You just do whatever you want. And you have that kind of mindset. Sometimes that term antinomian will come up, that anti-law, like we don't have law, we can do whatever we want. But Paul very clearly addresses that in First Corinthians that, you know, there's been people who are celebrating a guy that's sleeping with his father's wife. What are you doing? Almost as though the people were celebrating. We've got freedom now. This is great from the law. But Paul says, no, there's, we still live by the law, but in peace and joy, because this is what Christ has won us for. Um, but on the other side, you have people that think that the church has no gospel, that has no goodness, because it's just all law and anger and, and there's no forgiveness at all. But ultimately, no, we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news that Christ died and rose again, that his, his sacrifice of himself on the cross was everything that we need and the only means of our salvation. And yet when we are rebelling against God's instruction, when we are not being repentant, when we are not turning uh, from our sin, then we are going in a, an unhealthy direction. So uh, in this past weekend at our congregation, we we're doing a whole series on topics that often come up and need discussion. And, and so we were talking a little bit about communion practice and why we do what we do with communion practice. And the fact that if someone is engaging in sin in an unrepentant way, it's just completely, hey, I see this thing that's going on and this is not good for you. Well, I don't care. I'm going to keep on doing it. Well, we read in 1 Corinthians that there's danger in receiving these gifts if we are not repentant and we're not acknowledging what is being given here in the body and blood of Christ. And so, um, I mean, I know you have children. If you had a child who was uh, uh, preparing to stick a fork in a toaster, you'd probably do something to intervene. Right? Yeah. You, you wouldn't just say, well, I'm your loving father and you are now free from all the laws of everything. We would, we would say, no, there is danger here. And so um, we, and yet when sin gets approached or discussed, oftentimes people will jump to that phrase, judge not. Like you can't say that this is right or wrong because we're not allowed to judge. And yet throughout the scriptures, we're told to uh, rebuke or to um, uh, what's the other R word? 
or maybe it's not an R Reprove, word. maybe? There we go. Yeah, reprove. There we go. Um, rebuke and reprove to exhort, to teach that all these things, because there is such a thing as death, an eternal death of rejecting Christ and rebelling against God's word. So how are we saved? By the grace of God, by his grace through faith in Christ. And how are we condemned? From our sin and unrebellion. And we give thanks to the fact of what we often say, depending on the order of service used for divine service. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. And we get to share that absolution, that forgiveness. And so we do certainly address sin. If uh, someone is living in unrepentant sin, we address it and we talk about it. And we, we condemn sin but we proclaim Christ and the forgiveness of those same sins when there is repentance and faith that is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and as you said, that's done both for the good of the individual who's caught up in that sin, so that he would see just where this evil is taking him, where, where it is leading, and it's also done then for the good of the whole people of God, so that they too would, would realize, oh, this is not good for that individual, and it would not be good for me to fall into that evil either, because it it hurts. And that's the maybe the deceptive nature of evil, and I'm, that's, I think, particularly what Solomon's getting at here, that when it goes unpunished, we think it's okay, that it doesn't have any consequences, when in reality, it, it does. And so when those earthly consequences aren't there, we think, oh, it's, it's free and clear. We forget about the eternal consequences as well. And, and that's something that, that as Christians, we don't want to ever do, because it is that unrepentance. It's not about the particular sin. It's the unrepentance that, that says, I don't need that forgiveness. And that's, that's the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there are so many things that we can see within many church bodies and within our own church body that we get afraid to talk about the consequence of sin, not only in the eternal way, but in just the practical everyday living way. Hey, this is not good for you. And there's a reason that Christ calls us to walk in a different way than the world, um, because there is consequence and there is suffering that is a result of sin. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think especially in, in today's world, it is good for us as Christians to keep in mind both the eternal reality, but also that temporal temporal reality of where our evil leads us. So that, and of course, the world is always going to think whatever it thinks about why we proclaim the truth. But I think if we are more upfront with the temporal realities, it might lead some to think, oh, they're not saying this because they hate us. They are saying this because they don't want us to experience this terrible consequence that this is where it's going to lead. And so I, I think it is wise for us to to mention those temporal realities as well as the eternal ones. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So then into verse 12, Solomon, having said, when the sentence isn't carried out quickly, there's going to be more evil that comes in the heart of a man— He's going to come back, though, and say, that's true, but he knows what is true about those who fear God. So verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. How does that line up, add to what he said in verse 11? Yeah, so the fact that uh, the sinner might get away with something and might seem as though things are fine— um, if we are actually fearing God, well, as we talked about in the catechism, fear, love, and trust in God, that common formula, um, we realize that that is actually where we're going to have life. 
Uh, the sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Um, it'll be well for those who fear God because, well, we might see evil here and now. We might not know God's will of allowing certain things to happen or bringing about certain things. But I always think of Psalm 25 when you have a passage like this of it going well. Uh, the psalmist says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, and you I trust. Don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. So we, we know that there will be a day. And the psalmist goes on to talk about um, the comfort and the peace and God's graciousness, um, the prayers for God pardoning guilt. But the fact that we do sometimes see evil continue on and seeming as though there is no consequence of sin. So it's very easy for us uh, to struggle with any kind of temptations and sins when we say, well, if that person isn't experiencing the wrath of God, they seem to be living pretty okay, then it must be fine. But what the actual truth is, the reality of it all, is that it'll actually be well for us as we fear God and we are living, acknowledging God's wrath, um, that that is the thing that we want to be looking to, knowing that um, no amount of comfort or peace in this life will actually preserve us eternally. Mm. So this is one of those places where the Christian lives by faith rather than by what he sees or what he's experienced. I mean, we can see the experience of the wicked, that the the sinner has done this a hundred times and a hundred times he's gotten away with it, and maybe it looks like he's even prolonged his life. That's what experience and sight would tell us. Mm -hmm. But faith, God's Word, that rests in the confidence that it is actually the fear of God that prospers in the long run. That's what won't put us to shame, to use that language of Psalm 25. Yeah, and I've heard a couple of pastors make a huge emphasis on the fact that our ears are really the the faith organs you know and it's been a couple people in different uh venues but that emphasis that our eyes are not the things that we need for faith it's our ears uh, god constantly calls us to hear and to listen and not just in the sense of saying okay i heard you but in the sense that we enact what he says and so we we hear again and again we hear his word and we have confidence. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't say, okay, get everyone together to make sure they see me risen from the dead. Paul says in Corinthians, there was over 500 that saw him go talk to one of them, hear what they had to say. But um, Paul, I mean, uh, Jesus ultimately tells uh, the disciples after Thomas is there, uh, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And so we can look around the world and we can say, well, my sight tells me that there's no point in honoring God or looking to God or holding him above all things. Uh, actually, I should just go with the flow of the world. But by faith, we know that God is the God of all creation, the God who redeems us through Christ, the God who will call us to himself on the last day in judgment. Yeah, so we live by faith, not by sight. That is the Christian hope that we have. We're going to keep considering that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Merritt Demsky this morning about Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 17th. We're studying Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 10 to 17 with Pastor Merritt Dembski. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Pastor Dembski, prior to the break, we were talking about how Solomon invites us to live by faith rather than sight. When you see the sinner doing evil a hundred times and he gets away with it a hundred times, yet we know as Christians that it is better, it is goes well for those who fear God. And then he, he also mentions what ends up happening to the wicked. In verse 13, he says it like this, It will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So take us into to this part of the what Solomon's saying. Yeah, one of the wonderful things about the biblical proclamation is you don't need a webcam right? Your radio audio listeners can actually get a visual of what Solomon is saying without him saying, okay, come look at this. It's going to be like this. He uses this word picture of a person standing there and the sun going down and lengthening their shadow. So the sun's going down in the west, the person is standing there and you can see the shadow getting longer and longer toward the east of the person to their side. And he says, uh, it may appear to be well with the wicked, So uh, picking up from that last verse, he does things a hundred times and he prolongs his life. It may appear to be well with the wicked, but he will not prolong his days like a shadow. And he will, because he does not fear God. So the one who fears God, dwells with God, holds him above all things. Um, But the one who is living in wickedness and rebellion against God, he's not going to be standing there long enough for his shadow to get long on the ground. He's going to be wiped away. And so I think it's such a, such a cool picture of you see him standing there and it seems like he's going to be there forever, but it's not even going to be long enough for the sun to go down on him, mm. that his, his uh, shadow will grow longer and longer. Yeah, well, and the use of, of the shadow as the image, I think, is, is quite telling because, you know, the shadow, it looks like it's pretty big sometimes, you know, especially as it does grow longer. And it seems it's even larger than the, the one casting it. And, and yet, even if it were to grow long, that shadow does go away once the sun goes down. So what, a, I mean, what an amazing picture that Solomon gives to us to comfort us, to give us this reality so that we would live by faith rather than by sight even when we see the wicked prosper, which is is really where he starts to go, especially in verse 14. He comes back to this matter that, well, you know, this is the way that it is re- fully. That's what he's laid out in 12 and, and 13. But here in 14, he comes back to grappling with this thought, and he talks about it as vanity. There's righteous people, 
and it goes with them according to the deeds of the wicked, and there's wicked people, and it seems like it works according to the deeds of the righteous. That's vanity. What's this question he's grappling with here? I'm still fleshing out what he's talking about. So it's almost from um, 11 through 14 so far. You've got this consistent flow of, you know, the evil seems like he's getting away with everything, and then we are encouraged to do evil. And he does something 100 times, and his life is prolonged. But keeping in the back of the mind of the faithful that fearing God is going to be the thing that preserves us. And it will not be well with the wicked. His days, uh, with that shadow image, I almost pictured like a, a calendar on the ground as though the shadow crossing over the calendar going further. It's going to not cover the whole calendar because he's yeah. going to be gone. And then finally, uh, kind of stating it again with that kind of Hebrew poetry way of repeating things, but saying it slightly different to make the point that this vanity, this, this, uh, I, I wouldn't say foolishness, but this temporariness, this fleetingness is that righteous people end up suffering what the wicked should and the wicked don't end up suffering the way that the, that they should, they end up getting what the righteous should get. And so um, this is a vanity. And we see this, uh, I know we mentioned already in the Psalms, but uh, why not just do the bad things and get away with it if this is going to be the, the way it is? And yet we see uh, this suffering of the righteous many times. You got Jeremiah complains about this. Uh, he's faithfully doing what God has called him to do, and yet he gets put in the stocks and thrown in jail, thrown down a well, um, which actually it's very encouraging uh, at times to read what happens to Jeremiah and God's faithfulness to him, even as he is suffering, knowing that God is still with him. And that as Christians, as uh, well, as pastors, as leaders in the church, you may face suffering for sharing God's word, but all Christians may face suffering sharing God's word. Um, you've got Job that makes a similar reflection in Job chapter 21. There are many Psalms that emphasize the, the ability of the the wicked to go out and do something, and yet they're fat and they're sleek and they're healthy. Um, and in this case, you know, the whole fat comment isn't some sort of like an insult or something that they are, they're unhealthy. It's the fact that they are healthy. They're not starving to death and skinny. It's, it's, they have everything that they need. And yet uh, Jesus tells us the same will be true for us. I mean, Jesus was put to death. So every time people say, if the church was just a little bit nicer or just did things a little bit differently, it's like, well, Jesus was pretty good and he got put on a cross, right? Like, yeah. like if there's, there's certain things that there's, it's inescapable in this world of brokenness and sin. But uh, Jesus says that even as we follow him, we will suffer as he has suffered. If we are following him, then uh, it's it's just a part of it. And of course, in our Christian culture, or in our culture right now, Christians realize that we have lived very similarly to the culture for a long time. And so you haven't had a lot of big contentions in most of our lifetimes over faith versus what the culture is doing. And of course, now we live in a time when there is more diversion or uh, uh, separation between culture and Christian faith. And so uh, we want to be ready to know that uh, this is vanity. This is temporary. This is uh, something that we will face suffering and wickedness will be propped up. And yet by that faith, we have faith, not in what we see, but faith in what God has promised that we will be brought together with him on the last day. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing I appreciate about bringing up all those Psalms, Jeremiah, the prophet Habakkuk is another one that, mm, that offers yeah. the same complaint to God. I appreciate bringing those up in this context as well, is because it's not just an idle observation that gets made by Solomon, but it's something that the people of God cry out to him in prayer about these things. Why? It's not not only, hey, this is the way it is, but why don't you do something about this, Lord? And I, I think that's also helpful for us as you know, going forward in the, the culture in which we live, that when we see these things, we notice it, we, we realize what, what the true faith is that Solomon is, is giving us, but then we're also not afraid to cry out to God about these things. You know, why, why are you letting this happen, Lord? Please act, please do something. I think we should always keep in mind that that's also a part of our faithful response as Christians when we observe these things. Yeah, and that's, uh, so Paul makes the comment that the suffering we face in this life is nothing to be compared with the glory that is to come. And so even when we cry out to God, it's always in this remembrance that God is faithful, that he is faithful to keep his promises through Christ. And when we talk about these Psalms, it is very comforting to know that the Psalms are not just a matter of you're so good, God, and you're so wonderful, and here's all the great things you've done, but it covers all the emotions, the calling out saying, God, why is this? But always returning to that refrain of, you are good and you are great, even if we don't understand why, we don't understand how in this specific circumstance or case, you are the God who is good and merciful and slow to anger and so on. And so it's, it is helpful to keep that in mind as we see the, the righteous people suffering at the hands of the wicked and the wicked being propped up as the righteous would be. Yeah, yeah. And I think that crying out to God is the, it's maybe the step that's, I don't want to say it's missing, but it's not made explicit by Solomon here in the text, because he goes from verse 14 to, to saying, hey, it's vanity that that the wicked get what the righteous deserve, and the righteous get what the wicked deserve. And then all of a sudden, in verse 15, might as well be joyful about it. <laughs> I think yeah. that you know that, that matter of crying out to God in faith over it is, is one of the things that goes in that spot between 14 and 15 that Solomon doesn't make explicit in this text, but putting it in the full context of Scripture, I think, well, how, how then can I be joyful if this is the way it is? Part of that is to cry out to God in prayer to hear his answer in his word, and then you, you can, I think, land pretty solidly on verse 15, where, where Solomon says, okay, well, then go ahead and, and be joyful, because that's what man has under the sun right now. Talk about what, what Solomon mentions there in verse 15. Yeah, so he, after saying all these things, he says, and I commend joy. This is what I tell you to engage in. Everything, the, the wicked are going to get what they shouldn't deserve, and the, all these wonderful, all these terrible things are going to go on, but I commend you to be joyful. <laughs> I commend to joy. For man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be joyful. And he does have that refrain come through Ecclesiastes a number of times. He says, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And so is as depressing as it can sound at times, reading through Ecclesiastes, his whole point is, I commend joy, because even though all of that is there, God gives you joy in doing what you're called to do. So take that joy. Uh, You think about Ephesians 6, uh, the fact that God gives us work, and we do it as we do it unto Christ that we do all things in faith. We don't do things in fear. We do all things as though we are serving our Lord himself. 
And at the end of the catechism, when we're talking about the, not the end of the catechism, but at the end of the 10 commandments in the catechism, Mm -hmm. we talk about gladly doing what he commands, that we not only fear his wrath and not want to do anything against his commandments, but we, we see his commandments. We see that they are the good things as the Psalms talk about the, that they are the the honey. They are the sweetness. They are the, the good things compared to all the evil and wickedness that bring temporal and eternal consequences. And so what do we get to do in the midst of all of these things that happen around us? We have joy. Why wouldn't we have joy? God keeps his promises. Uh, there's nothing better than to eat the food God provides, to drink the food that he provides, and to take joy in Christ. For this will go with him in his toil um, of all the days that God has given him under the sun. So even notice the, the way that he says the end there. It's not a matter of as many days as he can cling to or you know, suck out of life. It's as many days as God gives to you, eat your food, drink your drink, and give thanks to God. Have joy yeah. in what he gives. Yeah, that language of God giving these days, I think, is is really one of the keys here. So that life under the sun, this toil, doesn't just feel like vanity all the time. Because if if I if I see this problem that the wicked get what the righteous deserve, the righteous get what the wicked deserve, and I think that I'm going to fix that on my own by my striving, by whatever means that I think I can do that then I'm going to wind up in this vanity, this striving after the wind that Solomon has talked about. I mean, there's there, in previous places in Ecclesiastes, he has talked about how even in the places of justice and righteousness, he sees injustice. And he says, that's, that's vanity. It, back in chapter 7, more, a little more recently, he's said, who can make straight what God has made crooked? So when, when we see these injustices, if we think we're going to fix them, then we're going to strive after the wind. But if we entrust those things to God, and we receive the days that he's given us, even if it means suffering for being righteous, if we receive that as gift, then there can be true joy. And and that's mm-hmm. where, you know, coming back to this idea of the fear of God, knowing that he's in control even when I'm not, we can have joy even in the midst of things that seem so unjust to us, because we know that God is working for his righteousness and justice at the end of all things. Yeah, and it's it is one of those things that uh, when we hear this, it takes the weight off of our shoulders. When we get to remember that the church is here to proclaim Christ crucified and risen again for the forgiveness of sins, we share the truth of God's continued work around us. We actually get to celebrate that He is truly the one that's in control. That all things work together for the good of those who love God. Right. That he is the one who's actually in charge of it rather than us having this goal of, okay, fix up everything in the city, in the county, in the country. No, proclaim Christ, pray, certainly um, live out life in such a way that we can be a blessing to the people around us. But it is not up to us to fix the whole world. It's up to us to proclaim Christ and to live out our faith with those around us so that all people would hear the message of Jesus and have life in his name. Absolutely. And and it's not that when we say, that, you know, we, we commend these things into the Lord's care, it's not that we don't work so that justice and, and righteousness do prevail in this life. Where, where right. we can, in the vocations that God has given us, we work towards those things, but we work knowing that it is all in the Lord's hand so that we end up resting in, at peace at night rather than worrying, did I, did I do it? 
well, no, the Lord's going to do it. So yes, do your work. And that's a point that Solomon makes elsewhere, but mm-hmm. don't, yeah, well, maybe this way, work, but don't worry. That's that's yeah. what he's getting at. Well, isn't it, uh, yeah, is this one of those things that people say Luther said, or maybe it's a quote from someone else that uh, that's uh, one of those uh, do all things as though your life depended on it and then give thanks to the Lord that it doesn't, something to that effect. Something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right, or yeah, do... Do work as if everything depended on you, and and pray as if everything depends on God, or something to that that effect. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if Luther actually said that or not, but that's that's kind of the the idea. So yes, do the work that God has given you, but not as if you're the one in control, because you're not. The Lord mm-hmm. is, and when you try to be God, you never do as good a job as, as He does, right. And, right? and you end up in this vanity, this striving after the wind. So rather, receive the joy. That's what Solomon says there in verse 15. And and then he continues with that, that same thought, keeps applying it in the last two verses of our text, verses 16 and 17. He, he says this again, "...when I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep." Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. It seems these, these two verses both go together. Help us to see what Solomon is saying here, Pastor Dinsky. Yeah, uh, before I just, I did a quick search real quick, and it's Ignatius who said that. Thank you. Act as Good. if everything depended on you, trust as if everything depended on God. Fantastic. But, so, so verses much older than Luther. Yes, much. I, it's amazing when you find out other people said things, right? <laughs> um, so when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day or night uh, uh, do one's eyes sleep. Um, that it, I, I think we live in a time that people can understand that there's a lot to do. Right? And people are tempted to say, well, I can't sleep. I don't have the ability to sleep. I'll just stay up all night, get up early in the morning. Um, and yet we have that Psalm 127, he gives uh, sleep to his beloved, you know, it's in vain that you rise up early and uh, that you toil late into the night, but he gives to his beloved sleep. We get to rest knowing that God is the one who's in control, as we've just been talking about. Um, but then that emphasis that uh, I saw all the work of God that he cannot, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, how much, uh, however much man may toil in seeking, he will never find it out. Um and it's true. If we want to figure out everything and comprehend everything, we never will. And it'll only lead to despair. If we think that we can uh, read every book in the library, we can find every single uh, piece of information about how the universe works, uh, we will despair because we'll realize that we can't even comprehend it, even if we did know it. And we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus is wisdom revealed to us, that the the wisdom of God is wiser than man's foolishness. And well, Paul says uh, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, you know, that um, he is the one who gives us everything we need. And so and the wisdom of the wise will perish all the people that think that they have all of the book knowledge, all of the Googling capabilities, all of the everything that they would need to know everything. Well, you're not going to have what you need. You're not going to have all that you would ever desire. Um, but God's wisdom, which seems foolish to man, is actually the means of our salvation. Not knowing it all, not finding all the answers, not putting all the puzzle pieces together, but knowing Christ, knowing his, who he is and what he has revealed to us. Um, 
So if a person comes up and claims, I know it all, and I have figured out all of the answers to life, we can know pretty quickly that that is not the case, especially if Jesus is nowhere in the following statement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, with when it comes to the, the matter of seeking out wisdom, then uh, talk a little bit more about this. It may be in the same vein that we've been talking about work, because I think you even said you were talking about at the beginning, it's it's still better to have wisdom. So, okay, you're not going to know all the answers, but it's still good to have wisdom. How do those things go together here in these two verses? Yeah, it's we. It's much better to be wise than a fool. We certainly want to know things. We want to learn things. And not too long ago, when I had gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, I had noticed near the end, uh, there's the comment about, there's all these books in the world, but all the learning isn't going to save you. And yet it's better to know than to not know. It's better to, um, to know what we need to know to live this life and to be wise. And because you look all through the Proverbs and you often see foolishness talked about, not the same as, but almost comparable to sin. Not as though the fool is automatically sinful, but the fool doesn't know what preserves life. Because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the stuff that keeps you alive. The, the wise person knows not to stick the fork in the toaster, right? Because they know what happens. They know the consequences of that. And so the wise person is, uh, he, we want to be the wise person. And for us, we acknowledge the fact that by faith, wisdom is actually holding on to all of God's promises through Christ, that the Holy Spirit has given to us to trust that when Jesus said, I will die and rise again, he did. That when he says, I will raise you on the last day when the trumpet sounds, he will. And so we do want to understand what is happening around us in the world. And yet if our whole, it's one of those things being out of balance, like we talk about the, the ministerial and magisterial use of reason or emotion that of our intellect or our emotions being in service to what God is doing or controlling what God is doing in the same way, we don't want to think that all of the self-help books in the in the book section or all the business books about productivity and how we can do everything and how we can establish a really successful nonprofit that those things are going to save us. It's good to know. And it'll help us in various ways in life. And yet um, what we truly need is our relationship and connection to who God is through Christ. Mm. And as, as we look for that wisdom and as we seek to apply it, we do see what Solomon's talking about here, that as much as you toil in seeking these things, you'll never have all these answers. You you won't find it out. And rather than than despairing, or rather than becoming sort of well agnostic, or you know, it just doesn't matter. Rather, as as the Christian, then that pushes us back toward God as the one who is in control, as the one who is wise and who uses His wisdom for the sake of of saving sinners, as He displays it in in Christ crucified. And so, even as we we see the reality that we, by our wisdom, will not know all things. That should push us back toward the Lord in faith, in the true fear of God, to seek after Him and to live under Him as as the one true God and to receive the, all the things in this life as, as gifts from Him. We have about three minutes here on the morning, Pastor Dembski. Help us to, to wrap things up on this text and help us to see... How does a text like this part of Ecclesiastes 8 point us toward our Savior, Jesus Christ? Yeah, so we realize that God created all things good, and man fell, man sinned, 
And so we see the consequences that of all ar- consequences of that all around us. We see the wicked appearing to get away with things that they ought not to get away with. We see those who uh, love the Lord suffering for their faith. We see all these uh, things that don't seem like they ought to be. And we realize, well, it's because we live in this broken and sinful world, this world corrupted by uh, man's rebellion against God. And that all points us to the hope we have in Christ, that he is the one who gives us peace and joy. He is the one who I was born in this very flesh, in the in the midst of this evil and wicked world. And he is exactly the one who is righteous, who was put to death. He is exactly the one who is uh, perfect and yet was called the worst of all sinners. And he did that for you and for me. He did that for all of us, that we would hear his word and hold on to his promises. And he still dwells with us. He still gives us his spirit. He comes to us in his body and blood in the sacrament so that we can do our work with joy, that we can go and eat and drink and be joyful, knowing that all the toil that we face in this life will be the toil that we have until Christ returns in glory of every day that he gives to us. And so we get to continue to celebrate that even as we see the world, even as we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, even as we pray for strength and fortitude in our own faith. Pastor Merritt Demsky serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. He has been helping us today to study Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 10 to 17. Pastor Demsky, thanks for being our guest today. It was good to be here. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. What Solomon observes in his day is still true in ours. Yet this is not the opportunity for Christians to despair. Rather, it is the opportunity for Christians to live by faith and not by sight to put our fear, love, and trust in God alone, who does make all things right on the last day, and who does give to us our toil now as his gift, an opportunity to live by faith in him, to serve our neighbor in love, and in this he gives to us his joy. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Ecclesiastes chapter 8, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.